0: We turn our Bibles to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. We take as our text the first nine, or verses four through nine of the passage. But really the first nine verses all hang together. We're going to read the first 22. It would be good if you leave your Bibles open, at least for the beginning of the sermon, as we try to look at the whole psalm in its completion, and in its fullness. But We read this morning verses 1 through 22. We hear the inspired word of God. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul, and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God, and condemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and break their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. O oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. We read that far. As I stated, we take as our text verses 4 through 9 of this passage. As we look at this psalm, the theme of this psalm is thanksgiving and the various motives for thanksgiving. And the psalm is very unique in its organization, and for that reason I ask just to keep your Bibles open for a few moments if possible. There are four different struggles here that are outlined throughout the course of the psalm. And with regard to each of those difficulties, four things that are mentioned about them. First of all, the hopeless situation. Secondly, the cry for help. Third, God's deliverance. And then finally, the thanksgiving, the praise that is offered up to God. Now the four different circumstances in which the child of God finds him or herself in are first of all, deliverance from the desert, from the horror of famine and hunger. And those are the verses that we look at this morning. The first nine. Secondly, those who are in bondage. And notice how that began in verse 10, such as sit in darkness and the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. Then third, those who have some serious disease because of their iniquities, verse 17, are afflicted. Their sore abhorreth all matter of meat. They draw near to the gates of death. They're about to die as a result of these afflictions and diseases that come upon them. And then finally, those who are tossed about in the sea. And that comes out especially in verse 23 and following. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters. Now Verses 6, 13, 19, and 28 all express the cry to God in the midst of that heavy burden. And then verses 8, 15, 21, and 31 all express the chorus of celebration and thanksgiving to God as God rescued them and as He brought them forth. And so that we see a lot of repetition, but that's the reason for the repetition then. These four individual events that are laid out in this psalm, And God's goodness in every area of the life of the child of God. Again, we look this morning at the first deliverance. The first nine verses belong together. And here we have verses 4 and 5 setting forth the hopeless situation. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted in them. And then verse 6, their cry to God. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. And then we have, he delivered them. And the victory that God gave them is laid out in verse 7. He led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. And then verse 8, the chorus of thanksgiving again. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Then the last verse 9, just being more of a summary of what the traveler's experience was then in that situation. He satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. The psalmist is painting the picture then here in these verses of travelers who are lost in the wilderness. Some are coming from the east, some from the west, some from the north, some from the south. All different directions, but they're lost. And as a result of being lost now, hunger and thirst take hold of them. When all the food's gone, all the water is used up, it's difficult to keep courage. One quickly sinks in despair, his strength spent. Nothing matters. He needs that drink. He needs that food. And so they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distress. God uses hunger, he uses thirst to bring us to our knees and to cause us to cry out to him. And God is ready, always willing as our Heavenly Father, to assist His weary travelers. He didn't lead the weary travelers back in the wilderness. He didn't lead them from one desert to another desert. He leads them out. He leads them to a rest, to a city, to safety. And that's the beauty, too, of God's care for us as He's leading us through this present earthly life. Now, these beautiful and expressive images that set forth God's care for us and the thanksgiving that we owe unto God, we look at this morning. We gather to give thanks to God for what great things God has done for us. And we thank Him for the jobs that He's provided us with. We thank Him for the bounty with which He's blessed us, the strength and the ability to work, the ability to pay the bills and to meet the needs that God has given our families. We thank Him for the rain and for the harvest. Our hearts rise up in gratitude and thanksgiving to God for His goodness to us in providing us as His children what we needed in this past year. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, we read in verse 2. And God gives us the physical as a picture, an expression of the spiritual. His bountiful provision of our physical needs points to his provision spiritually of everything that we have need of. We look at this passage under the theme, God's goodness in satisfying the hungry soul. Noting the hunger, the food and drink, and the thanksgiving. The longing soul, the hungry soul, we read here. The psalmist is talking again about someone who's traveling through the desert lands that surrounded the nation of Israel. There were people that found themselves cast out of their nations. And now as they wandered and tried to find their way through those desert lands, the result was that they quickly and easily became lost. And that's the picture here. They're wandering in a solitary way, according to verse 4. They're lost. They're alone. To be alone and to be lost in the desert meant almost certain death. The possibility of surviving in the heat of the day and in the cold of the night and over against all of the enemies that were present in the desert was very, very slim. They were alone and without food and drink. Their situation grave. And we read, their soul fainted within them, verse 5. The idea of that word faint there is that they were covered with darkness and were overwhelmed in the situation in which they found themselves. They were about to be taken over by a great calamity. And that calamity, death. Now we know the psalm isn't just talking about the physical. It's talking about the spiritual. And that's evident from the use of the word soul throughout. Repeatedly. We have reference here to their soul fainting within them. God is not only concerned about their bodies, but also their souls, their spirits. And God sets us longing so that He can satisfy us. God causes us to long so that we cry out to Him. And in that way, enjoy the bounty with which He blesses us. God brings His children into solitude, into trouble in order that they cry out to Him, so that in that way, they might come to know the rest and the provision of their needs. The psalmist is not talking about the calling of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. That was a calling forth out of one place, not out of all different nations. Here we read of some coming from the east, from the north, from the west. So that's not the reference primarily that the passage is speaking of. Nor is this a reference of Israel being freed from captivity because that also was a calling from one place, out of Babylon back to the land of Canaan. The psalmist rather here is using these different illustrations as an expression of the life of the child of God in the midst of this world. And the calling by which God directs, the lives of His children, calling us out of different backgrounds, different circumstances, bringing us from different directions and bringing us ultimately into the knowledge of His fatherly care, His tender love, and the blessed assurance that nothing can separate us from Him. God's children are called out of different nations, out of different tribes. They're called out of all different circumstances of life. And again, as this pictures the life of the child of God in the midst of the world, God's children are outcasts. They're dispersed. They don't have a dwelling place. We're like Abraham, who wandered from place to place without ever having a home in which to dwell. Pitching his tent here, pitching his tent there. They find no road on which to travel. They don't find rest. They're not even able to find food and drink. That's the picture here of themselves. Spiritually alone, brought into this circumstance by God for a sovereign purpose that they might know their need and that they might cry out to God and know the provision that he provides. Now, beloved, for us who are full and who don't even really know what hunger and thirst is, it's difficult sometimes for us to relate. We come together and we give thanks to God for the bounty with which He's blessed us. And it's difficult for us to think about what it would be like to be thirsty, to be without food. In catechism this past week, we talked about Ishmael and Hagar. God told Abraham to send them away and He gave them some food and drink, but it ran out. And about Hagar then, having to come to the realization that she had no more food, nothing that she could give her son, and therefore laying him under a tree, a bush, and then her going off in order to wait for him to die. Hard it is for us to fathom what that would be like, to have nothing to drink, no possibility of quenching our deep, deep thirst. There are times when God does lead us in a spiritual sense through such struggles and difficulties, and God does that at times. He takes from us our jobs, And He reminds us then from a physical perspective as well what it means to lean on Him and to look to Him for our daily bread. He afflicts some with cancer and through their treatments they lose their strength. And they're brought to realize that when one is weak and when one's strength fails I can't stand in my own strength. And leads us to see and to confess our deep dependence upon Him. There are times that God takes a loved one from us, a loved one that we thought we could not live without. And yet God does that so that through the sorrow and through the trials, we are reminded of our dependence on Him and His care for us and His provision of our needs. We experience troubles in our marriages, troubles in our families and in our homes, and we cry out to God, God uses these afflictions, these troubles, to cause us increasingly to see we are weak. We can't go forward of ourselves. We need His strength, and we need His hand. And God also does it increasingly to show us our own end. That we too are frail. That the day is coming when we also will pass from this world. And God uses it to cause us to pray and to seek out His way and His will as we know that He's the one who's numbered our days and is preparing us through death for the glory that awaits. In the midst of our trials, in the midst of our suffering, we cry out to Jehovah. We experience the drought that we had this spring and summer. We cry out to God for the refreshing rains, by which the crops might be able to be provided for. We cry to God. There are times when in our trials, we don't know how we can go forward, how we can get one step ahead of the other. And we cry out to God in our deep need, knowing the circumstances in which we find ourselves as that in which we would perish of ourselves. God uses those circumstances, beloved, to bring us here this morning. To bring us to thankfulness. God has prepared for us an abundance of things. We count our blessings. There's so many. He gives us food. He gives us drink. He provides us with all of this. But ultimately, He provides us with the faith by which we lay hold upon Him as our Father. Our Father who will provide everything that we need. Who doesn't turn His back on us, His needy children. But who hears our cries and answers those cries. And that's the picture of this psalm. God leading His children through difficult ways. His children then crying out to Him in their need. And God satisfying their every need. We see that here in verse 6. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them out of their distresses. He gave them food and drink. God comes to those who are in the midst of this dry and thirsty desert and he provides them with the nourishment and the food they so desperately need. He, provi- he performs what's humanly impossible. How is it possible in the midst of this desert that they could know relief and deliverance? And God causes a desert to become fruitful for the sake of his own. Even though the reference here is broader, we know that God did this repeatedly throughout Israel's history. And again, in catechism, as we're looking at the wandering through the wilderness, we saw this. Israel was thirsty. Two million people approximately coming out of the land of Egypt along with their cattle. How are they going to provide water, food for this great multitude? And they find themselves crying out to God. And God performs wonders. He tells Moses to strike the rock and the rock opens up and water gushes out and the Israelites are provided for. God causes manna to fall down from heaven. Quail come in through an east wind. Again and again, God demonstrating, you are hungry, you are thirsty, I will satisfy your every need. God performing miracles and wonders in order to satisfy his children. God provides for his hungry and thirsty children in the way of prayer. And that's the picture of this psalm as it's repeated again four times throughout the course of the psalm. The lost traveler cries out to God. And that's evidence of God's work in him. God's at work. God's moving him to cry out. And God's moving him to cry out to the right person. Not just to cry out to a God, not to cry out to some supreme being, but to cry out to Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God, who alone is able to satisfy our every need. And this cry was the work of God in them, in their need. God not only placed them in this situation where they would be hungry and where they would be thirsty, but God then worked in them also that knowledge to turn to him. And to cry out to him. Now this cry. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. Is in the past tense. But it denotes a continuing action. The idea is that you keep crying unto the Lord. It's not something that we do once. It becomes the life of the child of God. As the child of God lives that life of prayer. Dependence and devotion to his God. They knew there was nowhere else. To which they could turn. Their cries repeatedly are directed to Jehovah. Now again, beloved, we've been in circumstances like that in this past year. Filled with anxiety. Filled with worry about various circumstances in our life. We lifted our heads up to God. And we cried out to Him. And we waited on Him. We waited for strength. We waited for healing. We needed a job. We looked to Him. We wanted rain. And we waited for that rain. And when the rains came, we waited for the sunshine. We were inclined to criticize the work of God. And that's our nature. To think that God doesn't know what He's doing. Why would God afflict me so? Why would He lead me through this situation? God's timing didn't seem very good to us and to our estimations. But now we look back. And we do so recognizing that the wonder of God's works and realizing that God is faithful. Even though things were different than we would have desired, even though things continue to go differently than we would desire, God has a purpose. And God used it to humble me. He used it to cause me to cry out to Him. And He blessed me. And He bestowed His grace upon me. My prayer life would not have been what it is today had not those afflictions come upon me. God so often causes us to cry out in the face of those afflictions and sorrows. And that doesn't mean that those cries are less sincere because God afflicted us and therefore we cry out. But the reality is, some men won't pray until they're starving. For them, then, it's better to starve than it is to have much. God hears those cries. And God provides His response according to His perfect timing. He comes to be their guide. In the midst of the wilderness, all alone, God shows up. And that's what God did to Hagar and to Ishmael. Remember, God spoke to Hagar. And then God assured Hagar that He would be with Ishmael. Any delay would have resulted in death. But God was there. He was the one who would be their provider and the helper. And God leads us in the right way, according to verse 7. Not in the way that we would go, the right way. There are many wrong ways. Many ways we would be inclined to follow. But the right way, the way which God ordains for our good. And he leads them then to a city, to a habitation. We're always assured of that. He's leading us the right way. Even though we can't, again, understand or fathom it, we cry out to Him and by faith lay hold upon that wonder. He satisfieth, He filleth, verse 9. Beautiful words. He satisfies and He fills. Beloved, there is satisfaction, there is fullness found in none other than Jehovah God. And we look to Him, we cry out to Him, and He Provides that satisfaction and that fullness. He provides an abundance. And we stand before God with that reality. Today we celebrate what God has done for us. We cried in our need, He heard those cries beyond what we would expect. And He's cared for us, He's provided for us in terms of our health, in terms of sickness. He's provided for us in terms of the place that He gives us in our families, in the church. He gave us work. He provides for us prospering in our labors. He gives us possessions. He gives us luxuries. He gives us time with our family, with our friends. And even though there yet remain burdens and struggles that constantly confront us, We make those a continued matter of prayer. Assured that as He's been with us, He will continue to grant us what we need. He is faithful. And not only is that faithfulness evident physically, there are spiritual blessings that are abundant. He reveals Himself through His Word and Spirit as our Father. A Father who is willing and able to supply our every need. Nothing is outside of His Ability to come to our defense and our assistance. And he reveals himself to us as such. He gives us faith by which we lay hold upon him and we trust in him. He increases our understanding through trials and through controversy, causing us to be sharpened and better able to understand and defend what we believe and why we believe what we believe. Conflict also for our good. He gives us the gift of prayer. We're able to possess and read His Word as often as we desire. We have the Scriptures readily at our disposal. He gives us the ability to worship in freedom. He gives us good Christian schools where we can train up our children. So much He gives us But that which is above all is He gives us an abundance of His grace. Beloved, that's our greatest need. God's riches. As the riches of God come to us at the expense of His own Son, Jesus Christ. The riches of His goodness. That grace is so powerful and so marvelous that it changes us even though the desert remains the same. It works a transformation within us even when our income doesn't increase. It works in our hearts a transformation even when the pain, the suffering intensifies. Such a power that grace is that it draws us to Him and it gives us to know nothing, nothing can separate me from the wonder of my love for you. A grace that is showered upon us in Jesus Christ. And we know that that grace is sure. That grace is unconditional. That grace is from everlasting to everlasting. And that grace is such that He will preserve and keep us in the enjoyment of it. We're made aware of the fact that all of our suffering is because of sin. What is the reason for suffering in the midst of this life? Sin. And the fact that we find ourselves in the midst of the desert is because of sin. The fact that we are hungry and we are thirsty at times, is because of our sin. The fact that we depart from the right way and we go the wrong way is because of sin. We lose our way because of our sinfulness. But God in His grace forgives. And He works in us repentance. And He gives us to know that He will guide us and He will lead us and He will provide us all that we need. And He lifts us with His everlasting arms. And He sets us again on that right path, and grants us to know that His goodness will never fail. His mercy is sure. And we press on, moved to thankfulness. Deep gratitude wells up within us. Who am I to be the recipient of such care and such provision? I should have been left to die. How will I begin to repay my God who in his goodness and his mercy so tenderly cares for me and provides me with everything that I need. He works in us that debt of gratitude that we desire to pay. He doesn't want our outward possessions. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He wants that thankful heart and that evidence of gratitude that he himself works by his spirit within us. And that's the thanksgiving that's on the foreground here throughout this entire psalm. A psalm of thanksgiving. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For He is good. For His mercy endureth forever. His goodness, His mercy, both of which flow out of the marvelous depths of His grace, are that which move us to verse 8. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. God's works are so great. They're so glorious that they can't even begin to be compared with ours. As a matter of fact, in this psalm, God's goodness and mercy are contrasted with our weakness, with our hunger, with our bondage, with our frailty and about to die, and with the raging sea, which is about to swamp us. We go hungry, we thirst, we complain. We're filled with fears and with doubts. God is faithful. He's true. He never changes. And the word goodness here is the word in the New Testament that is used for God's covenant love. Reading the Old Testament, God makes reference to that again and again. His covenant faithfulness, His covenant love, which covenant love is realized in Christ and is preserved and kept toward his children to all eternity. His tender, loving kindness. This is the greatest gift that we could ever receive. That God looks upon us in Christ and he gives us to know that goodness and that mercy that is everlasting, that is unconditional, it's not dependent on anything of myself, and it's unchanging. And it is in me a power of transformation. It's a power of change. A change with regard to my attitude, my conduct, and my walk with him. Beloved, this greatest gift that one could ever know is the gift with which God has blessed us, his children. He's given that to you and to me. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And even more, those works are made so great and so wonderful because of those to whom God bestows the mercies. We're unworthy. We're not deserving of it. We're going to thank God when the memory of the deliverance is fresh on our minds. But as soon as we have enough, then we, get, we forget to pray again. And we forget to lean on God. And we quickly take His word for granted. That's the shameful reality that we face. The redeemed of the Lord, therefore, are required to be repeatedly exhorted to bless God, to thank God. God has a purpose for the afflictions and the sorrows. And again, the importance of this psalm, just laying out the various aspects of those struggles and reiterating God using all of that for good in your life. Necessary in order that you might know the fullness of His goodness and His mercy that fails never. Beloved, the marvels of God's grace are so high, so great, we can't begin to put a price on it. How can we value them ever as we ought? God has given to us not only our physical needs again in this past year, we gathered in March at our annual day of prayer, In order to pray to God that He would provide that which was necessary for this year. Now we look back. And though we were at times with anxiety and with concern, we do so with shame. God's goodness and God's mercy is abundantly evident. He supplied us abundantly. And what do we do in response to that knowledge and that wonder? We praise Him. Praise Him for all that He's done through the history of the church. Praise Him for what He's done for this church. Praise Him for what He's done for me. What He's done for you. What He's done in our families. Praise Him this day on Thanksgiving Day. And as we join with family and with friends, we celebrate His goodness and His mercy toward us. We are hungry. We are thirsty. We are needy. He supplies our every need. And we praise Him for that goodness and for that mercy. Beloved, as travelers on the way to that heavenly city, that heavenly country, our needs are going to continue. The troubles and the distresses of life are going to prevail. We cry out to Jehovah. And we go forward as thankful children, looking forward to that day when He will usher us into the heavenly city where there will be no more hungering, no more thirsting, no more tears, no more sorrow, where the lamb will feed us and the fountains of everlasting water will flow and God will wipe every tear from our eyes. Look forward to that day when we will join that multitude that no man can know before the throne of Jehovah God and be able to dwell there in perfect thankfulness to God for his goodness and for his mercy. Amen. Our Father, what great things Thou hast done for us. We are so undeserving and so unthankful at times. The Lord caused that in our afflictions, in our sorrows, we might cry out to Thee and know the goodness and the mercy that surpasses our expectation and work in us that true thankfulness, that praise by which we might ever adore and magnify Thee as Jehovah, our covenant-keeping God. Amen.